Hey everyone, it's Scott here. Just before we get to this great episode, I want to extend a special offer to you as a Meet Me in the Kitchen listener. Little Kitchen Academy wants every child to experience what changing lives from scratch really means. So as a special gift to our listeners, you can currently save $25 off enrollment at any Little Kitchen Academy location. Just use the code in the kitchen at checkout and you'll instantly save $25 off enrollment at any LKA location. Again, the promo code to use is in the kitchen. It will only be available for a limited time, so be sure to enroll your child today. You can either pay for it now or you pay for it later, meaning that if you don't take the extra time to cook yourself a healthy meal, you're going to pay for it. Your body's going to pay for it. You know, it's not necessarily healthy to use a can opener and a microwave as your main cooking tools in your kitchen, right? I mean, something is not right when you can buy a pot roast or I've seen lasagnas off the shelf and you look at it and the expiry date is like months afterwards. Like, how is that possible? They're adding something in there that's not quite right. So, you know, if you ask any nutritionist, the best thing you can do for yourself, they'll tell you, is cook for yourself. So you understand what's going into the ingredients, how you're preparing it, and just basically be empowered with the education. A good kitchen produces good food, but a great kitchen brings people together. Welcome to Meet Me in the Kitchen, a podcast inspired by Little Kitchen Academy and supported by Birkenstock, exploring the key ingredients to a meaningful life and how they are changing lives from scratch. Here's my dad and your host, Scott Rintoul. Think back to when you were a kid. What did you want to be when you grew up? We all had dreams, and most of those changed as you got older and learned a little bit more about the world. But it was always fun to imagine what might be, and maybe a few of you actually became exactly what it was you were dreaming about in those early years. At some point when you're becoming a young adult, there can be a pressure to decide. What are you going to do with your life? It feels like such a big question at the time, and it's only with hindsight that you realize you're probably going to try a number of different things and quite often end up in a job you never really thought about. That's certainly been my experience, and I think Andre Eng would say the same. Andre is the president of House of Knives, and while how he got there makes sense, it's not the path he envisioned for himself. That path has also led him to Little Kitchen Academy and an exciting collaboration that you're going to learn all about. Thanks to him agreeing to collaborate with me for a Knives Out edition of Meet Me in the Kitchen. It's probably a question you get asked a lot, but I'm going to start with it anyway. How many knives do you have in your house? (laughs) Too many. If you ask my wife, she's complaining all the time. Every cupboard, every drawer, doesn't matter. Bedroom, kitchen, it's scattered all over because we do sporting knives and kitchen knives. So there's never a shortage of knives. Do you have a personal preference? Is there a knife that is your go-to? Oh, yeah, yeah, because uh, we've gotten to a point we've been doing this so many years now. We're designing knives as well, so the Cory Artisan collection that my wife and I took two years to design are my favorites still. You know, we kind of combine a unique perspective because not only have we been selling, buying knives for almost 40 years now, but having trained as a chef, I have an appreciation for what a good tool does in your kitchen. So were you always into knives? Did that develop as you were training to be a chef? Something I want to dig into a little bit more, but how did this all come about that you ended up as the president of House of Knives? 
Hell no, we had no knives, good knives growing up. We grew up very, very basic. My father was a second generation vegetable farmer. The only reference of using knives growing up that I can recall is using horrible dough knives trying to harvest cabbage and lettuce out of the fields. So to make a long story short, growing up in a family business, if you will, we never had summers off. We always were working on the farm while our friends were at beaches and parks during the summer. So we grew up in a pretty entrepreneurial spirit household, I guess you'd say. My mother ran a little roadside stand in Victoria and sold vegetables for 20 plus years, just started on basically a few crates and a piece of plywood and it grew from there. So my older brother, I have to credit to being the entrepreneur where he worked for provincial government, didn't have a lot of job satisfaction, always wanted to be his own boss and just so happened the location at Hillside Center was our first store, came up for sale because the owner was retiring and he took the plunge and bought it. And at the time, my mother being typical Asian mother, you know, was, oh my God, what are you doing? Giving up this job security, the pension to sell knives. He knew nothing about knives, knew nothing about retail. And I still remember to this day, I tell the staff all the time how, you know, people don't invest in good quality cutlery often in their lifetime. And I remember I must have been maybe 16 at the time, walking up to the kitchen knife wall and seeing the most expensive knife then, so that was about 38 years ago, was $75. And I said, holy crap, who's going to spend $75 on a knife? I said, you're going to make a living doing this? Are you sure? <laughs> Even I questioned it. But uh, long short of it, common sense, hard work, good attitude. That location at the time was middle of the pack because back in the early 80s, there was about 40, 50 house knives across the country. And within a two-year period, that became number one store in the country. No knowledge, but just hard work, perseverance, and good customer service. So that was our first location. And over time, as we grew and expanded, the landlord said, well, you guys seem to be doing well. Why don't you expand and grow a second store? And we said, hey, why not? We're young, no responsibilities. We were working six, seven days a week, 12, 14 hours a day. And, and we said, sure, we'll open a second location. And I didn't even ask where. And then my second question was, well, where's the second location? And they said, oh, Langley. And then I said, where's that? Because <laughs> being Vancouver Island guys, we're like, where the hell is Langley? So it's, oh, in Vancouver somewhere. So we took the plunge, moved over, started opening a second location. And just so happened at the time, there was one owner that had eight existing rights to eight house of knives in the lower mainland. And he came to us and basically said, are you guys interested in buying my business? Because I want to divest myself of it and do something else. And we thought, geez, how could we not? What an opportunity. But we said, well, we're just about to open a second store. How about come back see us next year when we have time? He said, this has to happen in a matter of weeks, not months. So we grew from one to 10 locations in a three-month period. And this was fall coming. October 1 is our fiscal year end. That's when we took over the stores. And that's still my record for hours worked in a week. I think it was 137. I did a couple of all-nighters. And yeah, it was a crazy time, but fun time. <laughs> and needless to say, my brother and I, by 2008, things change dramatically. We're no longer able to work that 12 to 14 hours a day, six, seven days a week because we're married now. We have kids and yeah, there's some about family time. So 2008, we decided mutually it was best that one of us buy each other out or we were going to kill each other. <laughs> so my wife and I bought out my brother, Alan, uh, of the business. And then their turning point was 2011. Corporate closed their last location in Alberta because over the decades, we were always stronger than corporate stores because of our product knowledge, increased product selection and passion for the business. So in 2011, we acquired the rights to House of Knives and have been slowly trying to grow it since. Now we have 14 locations, three in Alberta and 11 here in British Columbia. And I'm happy to say that we joke within the industry because the industry is not big. When I say industry, cutlery industry, both sporting and kitchen, but we are the world's 
it's the largest cutlery chain left in the world with 14 locations. <laughs> well, and I know you joke as well that you were actually going to kill your brother or he was going to kill you. You wouldn't have had to look very far for weapons. That would have been easy to find at the time no. for either of you. <laughs> you explained how he took the leap from his government job into House of Knives. You were doing culinary at the time, and I know you're a few years younger than him. Was it just a natural fit or were you not getting job satisfaction as well? How did you make your way into the business? Yeah, interesting story. I mean, I love the hospitality industry. It's great. It's very dynamic. You know, you're never out of work. You know, I was always told at a young age, if you have your knife roll, you can travel the world and work anywhere, which is very true still four decades later. But I was fortunate enough to do a great career preparation program in Victoria at Spectrum High School, which still exists today. And that gave us a great foundation for anyone interested in different industries. I did two years of that basically in high school. And at that time, I still remember so clearly a counselor coming in and talking to us about the industry and the challenges of it. And they were very forthright, which I appreciated. One of the first things the counselor said is, congratulations, you know, you're in an amazing industry, so dynamic, but be aware that it's one of the top 10 most stressful jobs in the world. It ranks up there with being a police officer in New York City. And I remember when they told us that, it really resonated because as he pointed out at that time, it still holds true today, is basically anytime there's a holiday, everyone else is playing, enjoying themselves on holidays, you're for sure are going to be working. And it's a very stressful family life. And it holds true because my best friend that I trained with when we were teenagers, who's still my best friend now, has traveled the world and all the top chef jobs from Dubai to Sharm el-Sheikh. Singapore and Hotel Vancouver of late as well. But, you know, it's not an easy lifestyle, that's for sure. So at the time when I finished, I went to Mauspina, which is now VIU in Nanaimo, and did chef's training there. But after I finished that year, I knew that wasn't the right career path for me. And my brother basically just said, hey, why don't you just work full-time for me until you figure out what you want to do? And that was 38 years ago, and I'm still trying to figure out what I want to do. <laughs> well, what's interesting about that on a number of levels is the family aspect. And you grew up seeing a family business, and yet you chose to go into a family business as well with your brother. Was there any apprehension around that, or was it a natural fit because of what you had seen your parents do? No, I think at the time you're somewhat young and naive, and I tell a lot of people, right, it's a blessing not to know too much because if I knew then what I knew now, you probably wouldn't do a lot of things. And I think that holds true for most of us, right? It's dangerous because, you know, as I tell my kids and, you know, kids I've coached with before, the only thing that limits people is themselves, right? People are their own worst enemy in terms of coming up with the multitude of reasons and excuses why they can't do something or shouldn't do something. So I never thought anything of it. You know, obviously looking back then, I had so many people say, what? How can you work with your sibling, right? They couldn't imagine that. But the same holds true now working with my wife. Kua Fang, my wife, is a director of marketing. So, you know, she worked in the company before we got married. That's how we met. So there's always been a very strong tie to the work aspect of things, because if not for work, you know, I'm, I'm sure we wouldn't have met. There are a lot of parallels between House of Knives and Little Kitchen Academy on the business front. And as we'll get to in a little bit on a collaboration front as well, it's a family business at Little Kitchen Academy. What are some of the challenges that come with that, but also some of the advantages? Yeah, there's pros and cons to everything. I mean, I'm sure if Wesley and Brian are no different than my wife and I, where it's hard not to talk shop all the time. And the irony I find is when I want to talk shop, she doesn't want to talk shop or vice versa. She'll bring up something. I'm like, I thought we're not supposed to talk shop today. It's supposed to be a date night or something. But let's face it, in today's crazy society, everyone is so time starved, right? So once something comes to mind, 
I think we've gotten so drawn into the instant gratification. You just want to unload the information as fast as possible, whether it be through email, whether it be through text, an email or in person, you just do it because otherwise you forget. Because heck, I even find myself now texting myself just messages so I don't forget things. Well, another parallel between the two companies is the franchising aspect of it. Little Kitchen Academy is in its expansion phase and continues to franchise right now. You've been through that with House of Knives, and boy, did you have a shock to the system when, as you said, in three months, you went from two stores all the way up to 10. What has that journey been like in the franchising world for you? Well, we've been on the other end of it. Felicity and Brian are fortunate because they're the franchisor, so they have a little bit more control. But I think, as the saying goes, you know, the grass always looks greener on the other side. Having been a franchisee for a majority of our lives until we acquired the brand was challenging. I mean, there's definitely pros and cons both, but, you know, in a perfect world, if I had the choice, I think I'd rather have the control of being the franchisor. But with that also comes, I'm sure, increased headaches because the biggest challenge for a lot of brands, especially once you go to multiple locations, whether you're a McDonald's or you know a Subway or a Sleep Country Canada, is the consistency and continuity of experience is, is ever so challenging. And for me, I strive a lot to try to maintain that in our 14 locations. I just returned from visiting our Prince George store yesterday and next week I'm off to Alberta. And, you know, we're always trying to strive for that consistent experience that everyone strives for. And there's always that personal touch that gets added because every market's a little bit different. Every operator and owner is a little bit different as well. So I can see that parallel with franchising, the family business aspect of it. You have a culinary background, just like Felicity has a culinary background. So it makes sense to me that these two companies and these personalities met. But why don't you tell the story of how these two companies came together? Yeah, it's kind of funny. I mean, it happened in the height of pandemic. And like a lot of people, I mean, even for myself, I had just started Instagram before pandemic. But as a company, we were very passive, I would say, on Instagram. But, you know, when pandemic hit, I think like a lot of companies and a lot of people, you had no choice but to really make that change. And I know, let's face it, change is challenging and difficult for most people. People hate it, but, you know, pandemic forced people to change in a hurry. So I can't remember how it happened, but some of my employees would say I have my hand in too many parts of the business, but I still visit the factories, going with my buying teams to the different trade shows around the world because we've had four decades of invaluable vendor relations. So I was just scrolling through Instagram and I guess I just came across Little Kitchen Academy and I wasn't sure what it was exactly. And at the time, we had just started an initiative to get back engaged with the community because having grown up for most of my life on the island, we still had and still continue to have amazing relationships from a high school level. The high school that I graduated from with the culinary program, we still sponsor them with scholarships and awards uh, with multitude of high schools in the Victoria area, as well as Camosun College. So we've always had a strong foundation there, but we never really had time to establish those roots here in the Lower Mainland. So prior to that, we started working together with Growing Chefs, which is a phenomenal organization that teaches kids in a school program the healthy respect for not only how to cook the food, but where it comes from and understanding everything basically from farm to table. And I guess this popped up Little Kitchen Academy post. And at the time, I guess 
I think they only maybe had the one location, if I'm not mistaken. But I basically just sent them a quick message through our business account saying, hey, I love what you're doing from what I see of it. We'd love to learn more. And basically said, we'd love to help you out in any way. Because at that time, I had just finished designing a child's knife because that was one of my goals of empowering. And I was just looking, ironically, at the text that I sent through Instagram to them. And I said something like, it looks like we share similar values. We'd love to empower our youth with the right tools so they can lead and eat a healthier lifestyle as a result of it. And yeah, I sent it off to him. They responded with Brian's contact details. I emailed him. And I guess you'd say the rest was history. So we first established contact, I want to say maybe about 18 months ago. And it took about that long to get to where we're at with the progressive knife set. And as I told Brian, I jokingly sent him a note to him and Felicity congratulating them on hitting the milestone where we got the progressive knife sets in because the journey was a long one, but it was a necessary one to get to where we were at. I don't think they or I would tell you that we expected it to take that long. I would have told you it should have been done in maybe half that time, but the end result I think for both sides was far better and greater than we could have expected because sometimes things take time to brew, if you will, right? To get the ideas coming. And it was a, just an amazing collaborative effort. And we're, I think, both extremely pleased to where it's at now. And for those who don't know or are unfamiliar with it, the Progressive Knife Set is this exclusive collaboration between House of Knives, Kusi, and Little Kitchen Academy. And it's a set of knives that can be purchased for children through littlekitchenacademy.com. And I'm wondering if you can describe exactly what that looks like for the person out there who's listening that doesn't have or hasn't had the chance to see it yet. I'll start by explaining what Little Kitchen Academy is because I think that's a really important foundation of it. You know, when I first heard about it, as I learned more about it, I think my reaction, as with a lot of people, was so impressed with what they do and how they do it. You know, they're not just a cooking class for kids, basically, is how a lot of people see it. But again, similar to growing chefs, they teach kids a healthy respect for where food comes from, what the role of a farmer plays all the way through the food chain. But they also amazingly teach all these different life skills to kids through very innovative, unique ways. For example, I know one of the things they really do an amazing job on is with their measuring cups and spoons when kids are doing recipes and following. They actually are able to teach the kids fractions at a very young age. And it's, I think, that type of innovative learning that we need more of in the world because, you know, let's face it, kids and us as humans, we're we're lazy by nature. So you need creative, innovative ways to teach it. And most importantly, I think the whole theme is make it fun. And every time that I've been in one of their classes to see the kids or watch videos of it, you know, there's nothing but smiles on the kids' faces and they don't even realize that they're learning. So the progressive knife set, when I first met with Felicity and Brian, I showed them the knife I had designed, which is kind of a mid-sized knife, about five inches. And we designed it with safety in mind, first and foremost, whether you're an inexperienced adult or an adolescent learning how to use a knife, you have to have respect for the tool and make sure it's safe. And I remember asking Felicity, I said, so what knives are you using now in the program? And she showed me and I think she saw my face, my jaw dropped. I'm like, oh my God, are you serious? That's what you guys are using for the kids? I think I said to her, I said, oh. Yeah, I tried to be as positive as I could, but, but one of the knives they used in the program was a plastic bladed knife with a quasi serrated edge on. And I, I knew the knives even without her handing them to me, which brands they were, what styles they were. And I just said, you know, Felicity, you know, and I think we basically gifted her a bunch of the knives I had designed. I said, do me a favor. I'd love some feedback because I had just finished designing it. I gave her a bunch of knives. I said, I'd love for it to get some feedback to see how these perform in their kitchen. 
And a week later, she came back and she was thrilled with how well they worked. Not only were they sharp, functional, but safe. And, you know, them having nice bright red handles too makes it a little bit funner than using something that had just a generic black handle. So that got the ball rolling to how can we help you? What's the next step? Because at that time, they basically have five knives in the program. And the first one is a cute little wooden knife made out of maple. And it's actually Canadian made from Quebec. And that's a great little chopper knife just to get kids understanding how to use it from an age of if you can believe it, three years old. So the knife we had designed is kind of pegged for the kids, I'd say kind of six to eight range. So she said, you know, I would love it in an ideal world to have a whole progression of knives that basically satisfies their students from the age of three all the way to 17. I said, yeah, let's do it. You know, I, I was so excited. I said, let's sit down. Let's start talking about what you're using now and in an ideal world because the world is your oyster. We can exactly define the blade shape, the width of the blade, the length of the blade, whatever you like. And she was so excited. I think she was as excited as I was. And so we just started bringing in samples of different product, started bringing pen to paper, sketching, and, you know, a lot of back and forth factory, a lot of 3D samples coming back and forth to make sure the knives were, you know, met their satisfaction and their quality quality control. Yeah, we're so thrilled with where we're at. So now all the knives are actually numbered on the butt end of each knife so the kids can identify easy. It's either called a number two knife, a number three knife, or a number four knife when you get into the larger ones for the older kids in a Santoku style. And the largest one designed for the teens is a regular eight-inch chef's knife. And when we made these, it's not just about making them so they're cute, but we wanted to make them that they're very functional. So not only do they look fun, they're very functional because everything has a, a rubberized grip to it as well. So regardless, if your hands are slippery and wet, it's not going to slip off of your hands easily. And being kind of, I guess you'd say a knife nerd, we're very technical in terms of making sure people are even holding the knife, right? Most adults don't know how to hold a knife correctly. So a real fun aspect that we did on the knives, Little Kitsch Academy's logo is the little bird. So we etched a little bird on the blade on both sides of it. And that teaches the kids proper technique because you shouldn't hold a knife like a hammer or what we call a pistol grip. You want to pinch grip it. And that means holding the knife between the blade and the handle so they're taught to put their thumb on the bird and that's how you hold the knife it's kind of like a handshake if you will and that prevents uh, knife slippage because the knife can't twist on you when you hold a knife just in the handle there can be twisting involved versus pinch gripping any if you watch any chef most chefs if they're doing it properly are pinch gripping the knife just less wrist fatigue and better control so yeah we, we can be happier in terms of the result of how the blade came out and for the first two knives, number two and three knife, they all have rounded tips on them as well. So that makes it safer and easier for the kids to use. Well, and I'll put my hand up as someone who learned from his children the proper way to do that pinch grip and grip that knife properly after they had gone to classes at Little Kitchen Academy. And as a parent, as I am, you know that as comfortable as you are with knives, there's two things in the kitchen that frighten parents, knives and the oven. Anything that's hot and anything that's sharp. That's what worries parents. So there's always an apprehension around knives and around cutting skills. But I know from talking to instructors and talking to Felicity and Brian that one of the first things that comes back and interviewing parents, I should say, is how amazed they are at the ability to use the knife by the children. What reaction have you seen from parents and from children when they use these knives and when they actually completely exceed their parents' expectation of what they're able to do. 
Yeah, it's very inspiring, I think is the main word, right? As a parent or as a coach to basically see your own kids or kids excel, have confidence, have fun and thrive. I think that's what it's all about. And for us as a company, our vision statement has always been to improve the lives of those around us through education and innovation. And that speaks to our commitment. I mean, you know, people ask me how often I go to visit the Wustau factory in Zoligen, Germany, and I've been there maybe 25 times in my 30 plus years and people are like, oh my God, why are you going there so often? And I said, you know, when people think of German precision engineering, you think of Mercedes or BMW, the same holds true in the knife world in terms of what's being done over there. So we always feel the need to understand not only the materials and specs of how the knife is made, but why it's designed the way it is. And you can only get those finer details by visiting the factory and speaking to the engineers and people who design the knives. So all that translates to, you know, my philosophy is empower people with the right tools and nothing but good results will come of it. And I use the example of you know, you look at whether it be a carpenter or an artist, right? Without the right tools, you're not going to enjoy the process. And I think there's a high correlation if you ask people who, you know, quite often I was just asked people, I said, you know, do you cook? Do you like to cook? And people who don't cook or don't like to cook, usually there's a better chance than not that they don't have very good knives in their kitchen because you won't enjoy the process if you don't have the right tools. And that holds true even in sports, right? If you don't have the right equipment, doesn't fit properly, not having the right shoes or the right skates, you're not going to enjoy the process. And, you know, I always tell people knives, when you think about it, there was a great article from Forbes magazine a number of years ago that talked about the importance of what is man's most important tool ever invented. And when I saw the heading for this article, I thought, oh my God, it's got to be the smartphone, right? I mean, God, all you have to do is take a smartphone away from a teen or an adult and they start shaking within minutes. But sure enough, number one was the knife. And it even shocked me. I'm like, oh my God, I all of a sudden felt a sense of greater responsibility <laughs> that we sell knives and knife was it. But it makes sense when you think about it, really. For 2 million years, the knife has helped feed us, protect us, and help build shelters for us, right? Everything that evolved from a sharp blade, the saws, the scissors, the chisels, where would we be as a society without them, right? You know, we, we say knife skills are life skills because without the right tools, you're not going to prepare meals properly. I read in an interview that you did a few years ago that you had trouble giving your mother a good knife or a good set of knives and she wasn't used to it, and she was uncomfortable with the whole thing. And that struck a chord with me because my mother, God bless her, she's a fantastic cook. She loves the kitchen. And the one implement she does not have that is quality in her home is a good set of knives, and I can't understand it. Please explain to me how this went for you when you were trying to give your mother great knives. Oh my God, over the, not in the years, but decades, I started to lie to her. Because, you know, the first time I remember we tried to give her a good knife, the first question I ever asked, how much does this cost you to buy? How much does it sell for? She'd hand it back to me. No, go sell it. <laughs> because we grew up so basic. I wouldn't say poor per se, but it was challenging. We didn't have a lot with four kids and my mother having immigrated to Canada and not knowing the language. So every time was, how much is it worth? Hand it back to us, sell it. And then I had to start lying to her. I said, this is a sample. I can't sell this. I said, Take this knife and use it. But, you know, she was typical Asian mother where I think, you know, I'd be surprised if she had spent more than $5 on the cleaver in Chinatown that we used to use at home. And for her, that was the one knife that did it all. She would come in the store and say, why are there so many different styles of knives? I don't understand, right? I mean, being overly pragmatic and some would say cheap. I would say she's just being eco-friendly. She had her ways. <laughs> well, 
I can certainly understand all of that. And once we're done, I'm going to connect with you because I need to get my mother a quality set of knives and you're just the person to talk to. But as you go through that and the number of things that you've touched on throughout the course of our conversation so far, it just strikes me that when you found out everything going on at Little Kitchen Academy and the way that you grew up seeing farm to table and seeing that Little Kitchen Academy and with the knife skills, I understand why it makes sense on a business level. But more than that, for you, it sounds to me like this resonated with you on a personal level. Was that the case? Yeah, absolutely. I've always enjoyed, my wife quite often says I should have been a teacher, but you know, even when i about to do my rounds out to all our stores this month here, I do training sessions with the staff in the evening for three, four hours. I mean, I jokingly told the manager the other day in Prince George that I said, you know, what time your staff here till? She says nine. I said, if you want to, we could be here till 9 a.m. I said, if you get me talking, I won't stop. You know, I've got a lot of somewhat, some people say useless over technical knowledge in my head, but I always like to share and empower that way. It's the same reason why, you know, even for from an early age, I used to be a big brother and involved in programs, helping mentor kids. And, you know, my kids would tell you that they wished I, I didn't mentor so much because they got tired of me coaching all their hockey teams, soccer teams, baseball teams, and everything else. So I think back to my childhood, you know, we didn't grow up with a lot. And one of my fondest memories growing up on the island was being in the park programs that I know are still somewhat offered today. And those are programs because, you know, with two working parents working 12 hours a day, my parents never came out to watch anything. It's completely opposite of how it is today. So I used to go out and I was the only one of four kids. I was the youngest. I was the only one that played organized sports, soccer, baseball, and I used to go park programs. I remember the park programs, how invaluable they were in terms of getting myself or other kids engaged and to feel included right within that community. So I think I always took that to heart and just wanted to give back to the community. And, and we still continue to try to do that in so many ways through boys and girls clubs and other charities as well. Well, and because of your coaching and volunteer experience, and then seeing the impact on your own children as well, you can understand exactly what these kids are going through and how life-changing what they're learning at Little Kitchen Academy can be, can't you? Yeah, quite often, like some of the teaching sessions I still go back and do in the, the high schools on the island, I do a bit of a knife skills class for them. But in addition to the knife skills, I'm also trying to make them cognizant of nutrition and what they're putting into their bodies. Because as critical illnesses are on the rise, I don't think there's any secret that a lot of it comes through what we're putting into our bodies, right? There's a lot of fast, unhealthy foods. There's not a lot of fast, easy, healthy foods because it takes work, right? And I try to explain to them, as I've told my kids over the years, that you can either pay for it now or you pay for it later. Meaning that if you don't take the extra time to cook yourself a healthy meal, you're going to pay for it. Your body's going to pay for it somewhere down the future. So it's trying to make them aware that, you know, it's not necessarily healthy to use a can opener and a microwave as your main cooking tools in your kitchen, right? I mean, unfortunately, the way the system is and the way we're so time starved, there's not much you can't buy that you just throw into a microwave and make. I mean, something is not right when you can buy a pot roast or I've seen lasagnas off the shelf and you look at it and the expiry date is like, months afterwards like how is that possible they're adding something in there that's not quite right so you know if you ask any nutritionist the best thing you can do for yourself they'll tell you is cook for yourself so you understand what's going into the ingredients how you're preparing it and just basically be empowered with the education you know when we were down in the u.s last week my wife and i complimented and talked about how impressive it is in the u.s how you go eat out a restaurant that there's calories shown on there 
And I think that's a form of empowerment. And I wish we did it here in Canada because it creates that awareness, right? There's that saying, you don't know what you don't know, which is fine. But, you know, if it's put out there and you can understand and correlate to it, then, you know, the onus is on you in terms of what you're ordering and putting into your body. But, you know, knife skills are life skills. And my daughter would be a good example of that. I had a proud dad moment. I remember when she was about 10 and, you know, obviously I've tried to teach them a few things with the knives over the years. And she loves oranges. And an example I give is when Mandarin oranges come around about this time, I don't know about your family, Scott, but in our family, I think the consumption rate of mandarin oranges goes up threefold at least you can bring a box home and they're gone that same night and you know sure they taste different i don't necessarily agree that they necessarily taste better it's just different but they're a heck of a lot easier to peel right it's the laziness in us so when i showed my daughter how to peel an orange efficiently in 30 seconds using a knife rather than trying to get it you know stuck in her thumbnails trying to peel it by her hand so one day i came home and caught her cutting up four oranges that way on a knife and she loves eating a good navel orange it's so refreshing and she just peeled four of them chopped them up and popped them in her mouth and to me anyways that was a moment it's like ah she gets it and understands it right but if she didn't have a good knife to do that with i don't think she would know how to do it and it's not only about having a sharp knife but it's having the understanding and knowledge how to use it and that's one of the focuses that we've been really trying to promote through our business as well now because it's one thing to know everything about the knife how it's made where it's made etc etc but it's like driving a car you can have the best car in the world, but if you don't know how to drive the stick or understand how to drive it, you're not going to you know, get the full experience out of it. That's an awesome story about your daughter with the orange. And I love when you have one of those proud dad moments. And as you talk about food, it seems like the perfect time to ask this question. We ask every single guest of this podcast. So I'll ask you now, I know you have a lot of knives in your kitchen, Andre, but what is the one ingredient that is always in your kitchen and why? Well, it's so hard to say. Right off the bat, I would say garlic and pepper. I would say pepper maybe over garlic, but fresh ground pepper, not just regular pepper. You know, I'm always shocked and amazed. I remember a story where I was at an Italian restaurant. I can't remember which one. I don't want to throw anyone under the bus, but I was at an Italian restaurant. I love great spaghetti and meatballs. And I ordered it. They brought it to the table and they said, would you like some Parmesan cheese with it? I said, absolutely. Load me up. And then they walked away and I said, oh, excuse me, do you have any fresh ground pepper? And they said, no. And I think my jaw almost hit the floor. I was like, what? I think to myself, how can you not have fresh ground pepper in an Italian restaurant? That's, that's unheard of. That would be like going to a Chinese restaurant, not having soy sauce on the table. Fresh ground pepper is a must. We sell and carry a lot of the world's best spice mills in Peugeot from France. And I've been to their factories as well. But when you have fresh, and I'm not just talking pepper, but any spice, right? A lot of people really underestimate the value of having a grinder, not just for pepper, but anything. A lot of the good meals you can even grind dry herbs with. The difference being is if you took, say, even a handful of dried oregano and you just smelled it, you know, you hardly have any fragrance at all. But if you put it into ceramic herb grinder and grind it, it's amazing. The flavor is like tenfold. And, you know, you think in a time-starved society, the difference of that is if you're making a great tomato sauce or any sauce, if you can grind it into the sauce, you don't have to wait 30 minutes to come back and let the flavor simmer to experience what it's going to taste like. You'll know within a couple of minutes because that flavor release is instant. So having fresh ground pepper versus pepper that's just seen on a table that's been sitting there for weeks, maybe some cases months, it's basically no flavor, right? It's quality over quantity is what it comes down to. Pepper and garlic, that makes a lot of sense. And those are key ingredients to a lot of different dishes. What type of cooking do you normally employ in your kitchen, given your culinary background? My mother would hate me for this, but, you know, growing up, although, you know, she only 
cook basically Asian food, having been trained basically in that kind of that classical French style. I'll do definitely, I'd say 90% is more Western. You know, over the years, I think like a lot of people, you don't really appreciate the connection to food until you get older and you start thinking, whether it be holiday season time, especially, but there's always that connection between family and food, right? It, it's a natural for every family. And all those special recipes, we've just started to document them. And unfortunately, my mom's 85 in a care home now. And, you know, we were lucky enough to get a lot of her recipes, but her, like a lot of people, they don't have a recipe for it. They're just winging it, if you will. So I always find those to be the special ones. And we try to do that now with even our kids. The things that really they appreciate and like, we're starting to try to teach it to them because, you know, the, the saddest thing I hate hearing is how families lose those traditions and dishes and they never be able to replicate how mom or grandma made it again. So yeah, food and family is, is such a strong bond. Have you been able to replicate the magic that a parent or a grandparent is able to put into a dish? Because I know that's a difficult one at times that you can make the exact same recipe with the exact same ingredients, but for whatever reason, it doesn't taste quite the same as when your grandmother or your mother or your father made it. No, 100%. And I think part of it's psychological too, right? We were just talking amongst friends the other day how, you know, food always tastes just that much better when someone else cooks it for you, whether it be in a restaurant environment or you're going to a friend's house. Because when you're cooking it, I think you get kind of tainted with already smelling the flavor. So it's not as fresh to you. And it is always a challenge, I think, to try to make it the same way. You know, it's a bit like an artistry, right? And you can have the exact ingredients, exact proportions, but it's the techniques. It's a set of techniques, right? Maybe it's how they sear or brown the onions, the garlic at what stage, right? It's not just about having the ingredients, right? Proportions thrown all together because the analogy we, we talk about, it's a lot like baking. Baking is more of a science than cooking is. And although you have all the same ingredients, you can buy it from the same store, everything, but the end result can be drastically different depending on whether you add in the ingredients too soon, too late, and when you put it into the oven. There's a lot of parallels with steel and knives in the same way too, because a good knife has superior steel, which is made up of a lot of different components of carbon, chromium, vanadium. So yeah, a lot of parallels that way. No, you're right. And I guess the only other flip side of that is when you make something yourself for the first time, at least that's what I've seen with my kids at Little Kitchen Academy and a lot of the students there. You probably found out with your own kids or in seeing some of the videos that when a student makes that dish the first time, something he or she thought they'd never be able to make, maybe with an ingredient he or she had never tried before, and then they try it, the look on their face and the empowerment that comes with that, it's infectious. Yeah. Yeah. And no, it, it's very exciting to see like, you know, it's that level of confidence, right? I think as parents or as any mentor, right, you're always trying to improve someone's confidence in what they're doing. It's building blocks for life, right? And when it comes to food, especially what I love seeing is like you said, that ability to try something that they never otherwise would. And you know, I would say I'm guilty of that myself, where one of the things why I didn't pursue to be a chef was I'm a very conservative eater. Like I love cooking, but there's been times, one story quickly I'll tell, in culinary school, I was tasked to make a Caesar salad dressing and I don't eat salad. If you ask any of my friends now, I force myself to eat lettuce. When I go on a cruise ship and they bring the salad around, I'll ask them just for lettuce, no croutons, no dressing, nothing. And they look at me like shocked, but I force myself to eat it because it's good for me. And I think that's because I was growing up on a farm I'm seeing so many vegetables, maybe that kind of did me in. But when it comes to eating salads, I had to 
tasked to make a Caesar salad dressing for a huge convention when I was at VIU. And on the Friday, I made the dressing. And one of the cardinal rules of any cooking, right? Taste what you make before you serve it to make sure, you know, something hasn't gone sideways. And well, lo and behold, I make the Caesar salad dressing. I've never eaten a Caesar salad before. I don't even know what the dressing is supposed to taste like. So the chef tasked me to make it. It's a very important function. He tells me to make it. And he didn't ask me if I taste it, but I just made it. I handed it to him and I prayed it's okay. So on the Monday morning, class starts. First thing calls me over, Andre, come over here. I want to see you. I'm like, oh crap. I'm thinking, did something go wrong with the dressing? And he goes, that Caesar salad dressing you made on Friday for the event? I'm like, yeah. He goes, excellent job. Everyone compliment how good it was. I'm like, oh my God, thank God. Because the, the thing is, even if I had tasted it, I have no reference point. I'm like, what's this supposed to taste like? Is this good? Is it bad? I don't know. So that's one of the things like I knew kind of, I'm not as creative that way or adventurous, I guess it would be the right word for it. That's great. As you mentioned, you have to create context. Have you done that for your own children? Have you tried to help them be more adventurous than perhaps you were? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, as a parent, you want kids to have the good side of you and, and not the negative sides of you. So they eat a lot better than I ever did at their age. My son, especially. My son is actually an amazing cook. And he talked about going into that industry. And I just kind of gave him more. And we, my wife and I are like, uh, yeah, it's good industry, but you know, there's downfalls of it. And so, but he's an amazing cook. My daughter is more conservative like me. She is very basic and eat the same thing over and over again. But I can tell you one of the best things you can do for your kids as well. We started early on when they were still in high school that they cooked a meal every week and we ordered fresh prep for them, any of these meal preparation programs, because that's a gateway to cooking for them where it does the work for them. They just have to follow the recipe and add it together. And that was helpful on a couple of fronts. One is to let them realize cooking's not that hard. And two, they're trying to make recipes that they otherwise wouldn't, right? Also, no, I've never tried that, but they haven't thought of cooking it that way right? Because you can take bell peppers with your example. My son hated them when he was younger. But once we started growing them on the barbecue, game changer, right? It all depends on how you're making it, right? Because you get the caramelization of the flavors when you grill it versus just pan frying it or baking it. It's a great point. And that's one of the things I continually hear from the instructors at Little Kitchen Academy. They get the students in there. The parents say, oh, my son, my daughter doesn't like ingredient X. And I see that you're using that today. So he or she probably won't like it. And they're amazed at the end when the child has used that ingredient, consumed the ingredient, and all of a sudden has a new affinity for it. It's so obvious to me why this collaboration needed to happen with the shared values that you have between the two companies. And now I've learned a new phrase today, knife skills are life skills. Andre, thank you very much for this. It was fantastic. I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, no problem. My pleasure, Scott. It's been a great ride and experience. And I hope to be able to collaborate more with Felicity and Brian on some other handy kitchen tools for the program in the future. Meet Me in the Kitchen is curated and produced by Toolkit Content. You can find more information about Little Kitchen Academy, including classes, locations, employment, and franchise opportunities at littlekitchenacademy.com. What's the one ingredient that's always in your kitchen?